Hey guys, it's Samantha here, your host on the Not Anything Special podcast. We're diving into chapters two and three of the James Clear Atomic Habits. And chapter two is about how your habits shape your identity. Um, talks about how, you know, how we're trying to change our habits and talks about how a lot of people do the wrong thing to change a habit and how habits shape your identity based upon what you're doing throughout life over and over again. Um, it seems like uh, James talks about however the, the once your habits are established, they seem to stick around forever, especially the unwanted ones. I don't know about you, but that sometimes is it for me. It's hard to change a habit sometimes. Um, I think, what is it? Some of the the neuroscience behind changing habits is doing stuff anywhere between 45 to 90 times to change one habit so your brain doesn't have to think about it. It just becomes a habit. So in, the, in this book, he goes on to say that... Um, that we're trying to change the wrong thing and we try to change our habits in the wrong way. So let's dive into the chapter two. So it talks about the three layers of behavior change. So in the middle, you have your identity. Um, going outward, you have a process and outcomes. The first layer is changing your outcomes. Basically, you want to change your results. Results look like if you want to lose weight, you want to publish a book, um, whatever you want to do on a continuing basis to make a good habit for yourself. You want to change that outcome, the, the results, basically. And then the second layer is changing your process. It's creating that new routine, whether you're waking up at 5 a.m. every day and changing your life by waking up at 5 a.m., doing things that you normally wouldn't do, whether it's business, reading a book, going to the gym, taking a walk, all those types of things. Uh, And then the third and deepest layer is changing your identity. This level is concerned with changing your beliefs, your worldview, your self-image, your judgments, and about yourself and others. Most of the beliefs and assumptions and biases you hold are associated with this level. That is just like, that's more than what it is, right? So when you look at your core beliefs of who you are and the assumptions you've made, those assumptions can be good or bad, right? So if something happens to you in your life and it's traumatic, well, what assumptions are you making about yourself now? Like, um, one huge common misnomer out there is I don't matter, right? Something happens in your life, whether it's with a spouse, a friend, um, co-workers, at work, all of a sudden you, you have this core belief about yourself, I don't matter. And how do you change that core belief? Well, the habit book's not going to help you with that, right? You need to figure out why you're even thinking about that. What, what, event in your life, whether it's an incident, an event that made you believe that you don't matter. So changing those assumptions is more not out of habit. I just want to be clear on this. I think James' book, there's nothing wrong with this at all, but 
that's a whole nother book on, on how to change your assumptions about your life and how to go through a process. It's cognitive processing therapy, right? And what it does is it, it, it helps you change your assumptions about yourself into positive assumptions instead of negative assumptions. And you can't just do that by going, okay, well, I'm going to change my assumption. What it, it, it's biases that you're talking about yourself, right? Your worldview. And how do you change that? Well, you, you need to go get a book about how to do cognitive processing therapy. So we're we're obviously not gonna dive into um, assumptions and and the emotional distortions that you tell yourself. Which there's like twelve emotional distortions that you tell yourself every day, right? The all or nothing, like it has to be only this way or it can't be that way. Or maybe you're overgeneralizing, which just means that you're blowing things out of proportion. And what is the reality of the situation? Am I basing things on fact or fiction? Or just an assumption because you don't know what the fact is about what you're talking, your situation or the event or what's happening in your life. So there's all these cognitive distortions that you tell yourself. So, and we don't even go over cognitive distortions in this book. So we're going to move on and, and we'll have to go over that in a, in a different uh, episode. But anyhow, um, that... He goes on to to talk about, um, you know, how if you just change that 1% of improvement, it's better or worse, right? So if you just try to change 1% at a time of yourself and how that can build your healthy habits um, or bad habits at that. So it comes out to the process, um, your identity, your process, and your outcomes. But you're working it in reverse, right? Because you want a good outcome and you have to get that by changing your process, which also leads you into changing your identity and the fixed beliefs that you have about yourself. The, and he talks about how many people um, changing their habits by focusing on what they want to achieve. This leads us to an outcome based on habits. The alternative is to build your identity-based habits. With this approach, we start focusing on who we wish to become. Completely agree. Because you can't change your habits unless you know who you are. And your identity is at the core of everything and all those core beliefs you have about yourself. So he uses a a really good metaphor when you're talking about uh, if you're a smoker, right? And he talks about resisting a cigarette where one, if you take two people and they're going to give a different reaction and, and someone says, hey, do you want a cigarette? And the one person says, no, thanks. Um, I'm trying to quit. And then the second person, he, uh, this, this person, hey, do you want a cigarette? And the second person says, no, thanks. I'm not a smoker. So those are two simple answers, right? Like, hey, I'm trying to quit, and one is I'm not a smoker. Well, you got to have that mindset, right? If you're trying to quit, are you just trying? And you keep failing over and over again because you keep saying, well, I'm trying to quit. Um, I'm just going to have this one right now, and then, and then I'll quit after that. Like, I'm not going to have one. 
basically you're just kind of falling back in, in, into an old habit. Whereas if you keep telling yourself, I'm not a smoker, it's a different statement and it's more powerful to, to your psyche, right? It, it's telling your psyche that I am not a smoker, whereas I'm trying to quit. There's, there's just two different sentences completely and it all has to do with who you are and your fixed beliefs about yourself. Um, and it goes into the identity change, right? Some people believe you can't change the core beliefs in who you are. Absolutely, you can change your core beliefs. It's all about changing your assumptions about yourself and your self-identity of, oh, I'm not, I'm not worthy of that job promotion because, you know, maybe I didn't do this, maybe I didn't do that. Whereas, like, take a different view. I deserve that promotion in my job because I do X, Y, Z. I, I've done, you've done all your projects, you go to all the meetings, you come in early, you stay late, or maybe you come in right on time, maybe you go home right on time. But you got to take your positives and work on those positives because if you disqualify all those positives, what do you have left? You have negative thought processes and those negative thought processes will just ball into a negative thought process. It's like negative, you know, is just attracting all that negativity. Whereas if you're more positive about it, it's going to attract more positivity in your life. So he's just explaining on, and, and it's an interesting way how he explains like, Hey, just a simple statement. I'm trying to quit smoking versus I'm not a smoker. So, you know, behind every system of actions are a system of beliefs, which we just talked about. The system of a democracy is founded on beliefs like freedom, majority rule, and social equality. The system of a dictatorship has a different set of beliefs like absolute authority and strict obedience. You can imagine many ways to try to get people to vote in a democracy, but such behavior change would never get off the ground in a dictatorship. And again, that just goes into whether, I mean, and you could really substrate that, right? You'd be like, oh, well, I'm in a relationship that's more like a dictatorship. Or I'm in a job that's more like a dictatorship. Um, or is your job a democracy? Or is your, because relationships are really, when you take a look at it, it's their, their democracy, Right. They're, they're not about one partner versus another partner. It's a we statement. It's an us statement. And so when you look at relationships, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a daughter and mother, a son and mother, whatever those categories are, when you're in a relationship with anybody, it's about an us statement. So when you're talking about a democracy versus a dictatorship and how that goes into your belief system. Well, I can't do that because, you know, I, I, you know, that's just not how things work in my life. Well, why can't you do that? Why can't you go to the movies with a friend or why can't you just go to the gym when you want to? Well, you compromise in your life, right? Hey, you know what? So-and-so I'm going to go to the gym at this time. I know we have plans, but I really like to go to the gym. I need to go to the gym for myself. So there's all these stories you can tell yourself, but when you take a look at relationships, they are a democracy. It's a we thing. 
there's no him and him. There's no her and her. There's no him and her or her and him. It's an us. And, I, and I'm not sure how to emphasize that in a right way is it doesn't matter what relationship you're in. It has to be a democracy unless you're in the military, right? Because, or a pillar military job. They're going to tell you what to do, and that's just what you have to do. Can you turn that around and say, hey, I was thinking this, Captain. I was thinking this, Lieutenant. Hey, Major, I was thinking this. It depends on the situation you're in and if you've created that environment in which you can say those types of things. Other than that. So basically, you're sitting there and... He says, there are a set of beliefs and assumptions that shape the system and identity behind the habits. Behavior that is incongruent with the self will not last. You you may want more money, but is your identity as someone who consumes rather than creates? Then you'll continue to be pulled towards spending rather than earning. It's absolutely true. So it's all about those assumptions we're talking about, right? So your behavior that is incongruent with the self will not last. Absolutely. It's, it's correct because if you get back to that identity and those core beliefs about yourself, I mean, these core beliefs could be anything about like how he talks about money or I'm a smoker. Well, if you want to go to the gym, you say to yourself, I'm an athlete. I'm healthy. Instead of saying, man, I'm so unhealthy, I I need to really get to the gym. Well, no, you just need to change that belief and assumption about yourself that you're unhealthy. And you need to turn it into that positive and say, I am healthy. I deserve to be healthy. I deserve to go to the gym. I deserve to take that time out for myself and do self-care. Like, we could go on about that because it doesn't matter who you are on this earth. As a human being, you deserve to have that self-care. You deserve to go get, you know, if you're a woman like myself, I deserve to go get my hair done. I deserve to get it cut on time. I deserve to have my toenails done. I deserve to go to get massages. Why? Because I want to do self-care and I am a healthy person. So instead of saying I'm an athlete for me, I say I deserve to be healthy. And within that health realm to me is self-care. And so that builds upon itself of, well, how do I have self-care? Maybe you like to meditate. Maybe you like to go out and play soccer with your friends, volleyball with your friends. You want to socialize because those are all healthy habits, right? It's about having yourself be healthy. So when I say I'm a healthy person, that goes into I deserve to go to the gym. I deserve to do this. I deserve... They're all self-care habits that make me a healthy person. So you can see how you can dive into all these core beliefs about yourself by just one statement, how that statement builds upon other statements. So he talks about how uh, in his story, in the book, you know, he gives a great example about this guy by the name of Brian Clark. Um, He's an author. He's an entrepreneur from Boulder, Colorado, and he used to chew his nails for as long as he could remember, and he wanted to stop chewing his nails, and he couldn't do it on willpower alone, so 
He did something interesting. He asked his wife, can you schedule me for a manicure? Well, what is that doing? It's like he started maintaining his nails and then he looked at his nails and he's like, oh, you know, they look good. The manicurist made his, you know, fingers look really nice. They even said, um, other than chewing, I, I had, you had really attractive nails. Suddenly he was proud of those fingernails. It's the same thing, right? So, and I'm going to use the gym a lot because that was something that um, I told myself, oh man, I just, I'm a little bit overweight and I'm just so unhealthy. I need to go to the gym, right? So when I decided to change that outlook is I deserve to be healthy. I deserve to go to the gym, right? So all of a sudden I start feeling better because I'm going to the gym. Wow, I like the way I feel. I have more energy, blah, blah, blah. It goes with that, losing weight. And then all of a sudden you're you're like, I don't want to put that food in my mouth because that makes me unhealthy. I don't want to I don't want to have too many days where I go eat burgers or whatever. It's not about a diet, folks. It's about a healthy way of living, right? If you keep saying to yourself, I'm on a diet, or I just, I'm eating healthy, or how about you just have a way of being? Why do you have to label yourself into negative terms where I just have a healthy lifestyle? Now, does that healthy lifestyle mean you can't have a beer every now and again, or um, you can't go have a burger if that's your thing, or maybe you want a piece of pizza, or maybe you want those sweet potato fries, or you want to go out to dinner with your friends. Well, if you continue to do that every day, of course you're not going to have how healthy eating habits. But if you eat healthy 90% of the time, what is that going to do? It's going to create that healthy habit within yourself. You're going to feel better, you know, and then you're going to when you're at the gym, you're like, oh, I feel good. I, I've got the energy to work out. And it kind of builds upon itself. So maybe that first step for you is to go to the gym. I don't know. Whatever your process is, is your process. But it could go different ways, right? If you go to the gym and you start working out and then you start seeing results, your muscle mass starts improving or you're toning up. And you're like, man, I really need to eat better because I feel like I'm not, I'm not having as much energy at the gym. Well, maybe because you're eating burgers every night, right? And then it's just kind of weighing you down. Well, all of a sudden you're going to stop eating those burgers because you feel like, man, I feel really good at the gym. I, I want an apple. I want a banana or I want, you know, maybe I'm going to go home and make some chicken. I'm going to go home and make my own dinner. I'm going to go home, and make my own breakfast, lunch, whatever time you go to the gym. Those are the types of things that are going to change your core beliefs about yourself is saying those things and then making those go into your process and your outcome. So, you know, and the true behavior change is identity change, which is absolutely true, right? If you want to, the goal to read a book is not the goal. It's to become a reader if that's what you want to do. The goal to run a marathon is not really running the, the goal is not the marathon. The goal is to become a runner. Uh, the goal to learn an instrument, it's really the goal to become a musician. So basically, it's just changing the story that you tell yourself just a little bit. 
because the neuroscience behind it, the facts are there, right? The facts are that all these neuroscientists that study this all state the same thing. When someone says, yeah, I'm just going to read a book. That's what I want to do. My, my goal is to read the book. But then you take that other person, and they may read that one book, right? But they're not reading multiple books. But when you take that goal of someone that says, I just want to be a reader. They just want to read more often. I want to become a reader. I am a reader. It's more than just, I want to read a book. He uses that marathon again, right? I want to become a runner. I am a runner. Well, that's going to get you to your marathon. So, and then the last one that he uses is, I want to learn an instrument. Well, the goal is not to learn the instrument. The goal is to be a musician. So aren't you a musician as soon as you start that process? Aren't you a runner as soon as you start that process? And, and aren't you a reader as soon as you open that book? So it's changing your mindset to go, I am a reader. It doesn't matter if you read one page a night or two pages or what have you. You are a reader. It's doing that process and it's going to take over. Because your outcome is going to show your results of that action. And you're changing that identity by stating those things and believing in them and making them happen through your processes in your outcomes. Um, and it is, I mean, it is, this is the most basic thing, right? Whatever your actions are and your behaviors are, that's who your identity is. Let me, let me repeat that. Your behaviors are direct correlation or reflection of your identity. I have to say this one more time. Your behaviors are a direct correlation and reflection of your identity. And that is true. So if you're going out and talking to people and you're social, wouldn't that be that your identity is your social? Maybe your social butterfly, right? That's what they call it. Um, there's so many things I can, I can come up with as examples, right? But the, the huge thing is just taking into and remembering that your actions in life reflect who you are. Are you angry? Are you an angry person? Well, what's the reflection of your life? Are you going out and getting irritated at people and, and causing havoc in your life? Or are you just kind of like, whatever, man, do your thing. Or that guy that cuts you off in the road, are you yelling and screaming at him right away? Well, is that... Is that a lot of anger that you've had built up or um, maybe that you want to give more to society? You want to put deposits, which part of this podcast is all about service, right? And the deposits that you put in life and how that reflects upon who you are as a person. And, and it's kind of important, right? Because if you're, if you go out there and you're, volunteering your time like I have a friend that um every other Friday he goes out and he uh there's a place here in Sacramento California that gives bikes to the needy maybe you don't have enough money to get that bike but man you really need that bike to get to work well there's a place you can go to get a bike for super low cost or maybe for free 
And this guy, he goes and he fixes bikes. Every other Friday he goes to this place and, you know, people bring in parts and pieces to bikes and he helps fix them. He's putting a deposit out in life, right? So what does that say about him? I don't know what his core belief is that he tells himself, but I do know that he wants to put a deposit back in life because he believes that service is important to him, right? He believes that doing something for another human being that can't do it for themselves, he's helping them because what he believes is that he can help that person to achieve more in life by just a simple bike, getting them around more getting them to their job, getting them to wherever they need to go. Maybe it's just school. Maybe it's a struggling student. Maybe it's the 15-year-old, 10-year-old, 9-year-old that needs a bike, but mom and dad just can't afford it because of bills. Or maybe it's the single mom or single dad that just can't afford to buy that bike. Well, it doesn't matter because to Gary, Gary's putting a deposit. He doesn't know who's getting that bike. He just knows he's doing something good. And he's putting a deposit out there and that positive energy that is going to make an action for someone else who could potentially change their self-belief about themselves. So it goes into um, the two-step process to changing your identity. And it talks about what we just talked about. Your identity emerges out of your habits. You're not born with preset beliefs. Every belief, including those about yourself, is learned and conditioned through an experience. Your habits are how you embody your identity. The more you pay to behavior, the more it, refers, it reinforces that identity. That associated behavior. The identity was originally derived from the Latin word essentials, which means being. And identity... I, Dentidium, which means repeatedly. Your identity, literally, your repeated beginnings. I just, I love that because he breaks down the wording, right? So, whatever your identity is right now, is your, because of your proof of it, right? Your proof of who you are, your proof of all your outcomes. It's not the proof of your process. It's your outcomes, right? It's just the process that's taking you there. It could be good or bad, though, right? Um, it's a... If you consider yourself a writer, aren't you just being creative? Of course, that... Your habits are not only the actions that influence your identity by virtue, but their frequency. They're usually the most important ones. Each experience in life modifies your self-image, but it's unlikely you would consider yourself a soccer player because you kicked a ball once, or an artist because you scribbled a picture. As you repeat those actions, right, you become the soccer player. As you repeat those actions repetitively, you become the artist. As you meditate more, you're a meditator. Um, as you bike more, you're a bicyclist. So isn't that going to jobs, right? I was a firefighter. 
that's who I was. That was my service, right? I wanted to serve the public. I wanted to be in service in any way I could, which was for me to become a paramedic for over 23 years. You know, it was to become that firefighter for over 23 years. And I wanted to put my deposits in the world by being of service to the community. Well, now that I'm retired, what do I do now? I've got to think of something else to put service into the community, right? So I started a detailing business. If I detail a car one time, am I a detailer? Absolutely not. But if I detail a car all the time, I'm going to do this car, I'm going to do that car. I'm going to polish the paint. I'm a paint specialist, you know, correction specialist, or whatever you're going to call yourself as that detailer. Am I a detailer now? Absolutely I am, because I'm doing it in a repetitive process that states that's what I'm doing. So what do I, what do you do now that you've become that, right? Is that a positive or is that a negative outcome? And what is the process you're taking there? What are your intentions with your process? So it's that process, right? So if I get up in the morning and I'm going to, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. on my weekdays and that's what I want to do Monday through Friday. I want to wake up at 5 a.m. I want to work on something that's important to me and for a little while, and then I want to go to the gym. Okay. Well, if I just do that one time, am I part of the 5 a.m. club? No. But if I wake up all the time repetitively at 5 a.m., am I part of my own 5 a.m. club? Yeah, absolutely. I don't care if other people get up at 5 a.m. I want to get up at 5 a.m., I want to start my day off at 5 a.m. I know that if I start my day off at 5 a.m., it's going to give me time to go to the gym. If I get my time to go to the gym, then I am succeeding in my habit of saying that I'm a healthy person, right? It's going to change my identity itself. I wake up early in the morning. I go to the gym. I eat a healthy breakfast Maybe I fast. Maybe I just eat the healthy lunch and dinner and so on. It doesn't matter because I'm changing my identity by the repetitive process of getting up at 5 a.m., going to the gym because that gives me time. So it's deciding the type of person that you want to be and then initiating those actions and creating small wins, right? Because if you're only able to change that 1%, because let me tell you, there, there's another book out there, and it's a great book. It's about small habits, right? And I know it's not part of this, but it is in a way, because he just explains it a little bit differently. You're just trying to change that 1%. Well, in this other book, and we might go into this other book, or maybe I won't, I don't know. But it's about this guy, he writes this book, and he's like, I just want to do one push-up a day. So he gets down and that's his goal. He just wants to do that 365 days a year. He wants to do that one push-up every day. So he gets down and he does one push-up. He said, well, I'm already here. I might as well do another five. So he does another five. Maybe it was ten. And then the next day he's like, oh, I got to get in my push-up mode. So he gets in his push-up because in his mind he's only got to do one. And you can do one of anything, right? If you put that in your mind, like, I can do anything for 30 seconds. You want me to hold a plank for 30 seconds, do a wall sit for 30 seconds, and I'm going to use a lot of 
athletic stuff because it's the easiest thing, a physical thing that you can do for yourself. And as long as you put it to your mind, I can do anything for 30 seconds. Well, your mind can take that. But if you say, man, I just need to work out for two hours. Well, your mind is not going to want to do that. Your mind is like, what the F are you doing? This is taking way too long. But if you give yourself 30 seconds and you build upon that 30 seconds, all of a sudden that 30 seconds turns into one minute. Now the next 30 seconds turns into two minutes and three minutes and four minutes. Before you know, you're running for 25 minutes. You're doing, you're playing a guitar, being a musician for 30 minutes. All these little seconds count. And if you tell your mind it's just one, I can do that one push-up. Well, it goes into eventually this guy changed his whole identity based upon one push-up a day. He changed his identity by one push-up a day because he was already in that mode on the ground. I'm going to do this one push-up. I might as well do a second one. Well, shoot, I might as well do a third, fourth, fifth. And then eventually he's doing all these push-ups every day. He starts, well, I might as well go to the gym and do my push-up at the gym. And instead of just going to the gym, he talks about, I'm just going to go to the gym and be there for three minutes. And he does his one push-up and and he does multiple push-ups. And then he leaves. And every day he's staying longer. Before he knows it, he's there at the gym for an hour and he's just enjoying his time because he's setting himself up for success by changing his core belief of identity. And that's the point of this little habits, right? It's the small wins. It's that 1% that's going to change everything because it's going to exponentially create more than 1%, right? So back off my tangent, it says you have to decide who you want to be, right? That's the first two-step process. Decide the type of person you want to be and prove it to yourself with small wins, So basically in this chapter, um, we're basically done with this chapter, right? It's the identity change is the North Star of habit change. And the rest of the book, he goes on to be a step-by-step instruction guide on how to change your habits. I also truly believe if you're going to change your habits, you, you need to understand who you are and all those assumptions that you tell yourself. And maybe this book is all you need, but also look into like how to change your assumptions about yourself because some people may need a little bit different, right? Motivation for that. So just to remember that, you know, there's the three levels of changing, right? The identity. Because really when you're changing a habit, you're changing the identity of who you are because nothing is permanent, right? There's nothing permanent about your identity it changes every day your core beliefs are what we're trying to change so it's you have your outcome change your process change and your identity change and how do you change that by simply stating those moments to yourself and then doing the process and the outcome is going to give you the proof of that The most effective way to change your habit is not to focus on what you want to achieve, but what you wish to become. Absolutely. We talked about that. Your goal is not to play the guitar. Your goal is to become a musician. 
Becoming the best version of yourself requires you to continuously edit your beliefs. I'm gonna, there's so many people out there that believe, well, this is just who I am. Bull crud. Bull crud. Because you can change your fixed beliefs about yourself, and that's why they're called fixed beliefs. You can change them and expand your identity. Edit your beliefs. The real reason habits matter is not because they can get you better results, but because they can change your beliefs about yourself. Absolutely. Because if you say you're a healthy person, but you never do anything about that, or you never do anything about being a musician, you still have to have that process. You still have to have that outcome. You still have to generate something to make yourself believe you are a musician. So you can't just say, oh, yeah, I'm a musician. Well, what instrument do you play or do you write music? What, what makes you a musician? We well, got to have that process, which is simply learning the guitar or learning the flute or whatever you're going to do or learning to write music. And then having that outcome of at least doing it. You don't have to do it all the time. You just have to do it. Maybe you want to start off with that 30 seconds. Maybe you want to start off with that one minute. It's changing your internal belief by having that outcome. So that's it for chapter two. And let's just dive into chapter three. We've got time today. So it's how to build better habits in four simple steps. So again, chapter three is how to build better habits in four simple steps. So chapter three starts off with um, kind of, uh, the story about this psychologist in 1898 by the name of Edward Thorndike. Thorndike. So basically, uh, this guy decides he's going to conduct an experiment, right? He's going to take these cats and he's going to put them in a puzzle box. And inside this puzzle box, you know, they had to escape and um, they had to do just one single act by pulling the loop cord, processing a lever, stepping on a platform. Um, one box contained a lever that press would open the door on on the side of the box. Once the door had been opened, the cat could dart out quickly, run over to a bowl of food and eat the food. All right, so, you know, he knows that the cats just wanted to escape as soon as they were placed in that box. They poke their nose out into the corner, stick their paws through the openings, such like that, just to try to get out. Um, and he tracked the behavior of all these cats, which that just takes a lot of patience, man. A lot of patience. So he he started doing like, I mean, he's on like trial 20 or 30 trials, and he, and he explains cat number 12, right? So in cat number 12, it took 160 seconds the first time to get that pull loop done and get out to his food. The very last time, it took the cat um, somewhere around like six seconds or seven seconds. It said during the first three trials, the cat escaped an average 1.5 minutes. During the last three trials, it escaped an average 6.3 seconds. Well, isn't that pretty much what we do every day in life, right? It's becoming second nature. We're building that. It's the same thing and... 
and I can't remember if I went over this in the previous podcast or not, it's the same thing. When you're 15 years old and you're sitting in that car and, and you need to, mom or dad or whoever's teaching you how to drive, you get in that car and you're like, holy crap, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm sitting in the driver's seat. You got your hands on the wheel. You're pumped, right? But all at the same time, you're like nervous. You're like, okay, I got to do everything. Are my mirrors adjusted? Is my rear view mirror adjusted? Okay, is my seat, my seat's just right? Okay, I can reach the pedals. Okay, I got to get my seatbelt on. Okay, I'm good to go. Now you got to put the key in the ignition, or maybe it's a push button. When I started, it was a key in the ignition, folks. So you get the key in the ignition, and you're like, okay, is it, now I got to turn it, click it this one time, and then click it to start it. Okay, you did that. Okay, it's running. All right. Now, now you're like, okay, I got to get this thing. I got to get it out of the driveway. So you're very slow and methodical about all these processes, right? You go from park to reverse. You make sure that it says you're in R. You've gone down that one slot because as of right now, you just know that that R is one down. And so you put it in reverse and you're looking around and it takes you a second. You're like, okay, I'm not going to hit anything in the front or the back. I've worked, okay, I'm going to go really, really slow, right? Now, I want you to take a look at it. I'm, I'm 47 years old. Get, now my truck has a push ignition, right? So I get in, push the ignition, and I'm, I'm like in this process. And it may have taken me five minutes to park to get myself out of the driveway when I was 15. Now it takes me, what, 30 seconds? So it's all about repetitive behaviors and how that, is your outcome, right? So so basically that whole process is what they call the feedback loop, right? So the cat eventually getting that loop pulled, getting out, it's a feedback loop. It's the same thing in life, right? Um, you have an unexpected reward. He talks about after you've stumbled upon an expected reward, you alter your strategy the next time. Your brain immediately begins to catalog the events that preceded the reward. Wait a minute, that felt good. What do I do right before that? That is the feedback loop, and you try to recreate that, right? It's the same thing. Neurologically, what's happening inside your brain is it's taking in all this information, right? But what happens when that becomes a habit your brain is not having to take in all the information. It's already, you know, in the hippocampus. It's already in your thought process and all your memories of how to do X, Y, Z, of, from picking up a saw to plugging it in to turning it on to, you know, actually sawing a board. The first time you do it, it's a slow process. You're like, okay, I, I got to plug this thing in. How does this thing work? All this kind of stuff. Your brain's taking in all this information. Now it's in a second habit. Basically, it's, it goes into the habit formation is incredibly useful because the conscious mind is the bottleneck of the brain, which is absolutely true. So we just talked about it with the car and backing out of the driveway, right? Or maybe you decided to go for a run because you're stressed out. And maybe now every time you're coming home from work, you automatically get those running shoes on and you go for a run and you feel free. Or maybe you're the type of person that 
decides I'm going to get the video game controller. So you sit down for 20 minutes and play a video game. And so now all of a sudden that becomes a habit. You come home and you get the video controller. You play for 20 minutes. Or maybe it's the TV that decompresses you. It's whatever your habit building process is. And your conscious mind isn't thinking about it anymore. Because it becomes second nature to you. Um, and it doesn't matter what what you're doing right. Because... At the end of the day, it's whatever your self-belief is that creates these habits, right? So, and it talks about the science of habit works, right? This is like, I love this. It's This is the geek part of me that comes out, right? You have the cue, craving, response, and reward. So, and it's breaking down into understanding how habits work and, and how you can improve, Right? So you have your the cue, the craving, response, reward. Um, it's the four stages. It's the four-step pattern, and it is the backbone of every habit. So um, you have a cue, which triggers, you know, the craving, and then you get that your brain initiates a uh, a behavior, and but it knows it can predict the reward. Okay. So <clears throat> you got to have these four things, right, to to have the habit. You got to have the cue, craving, response and reward to create that habit. So it's kind of like uh the cue is what triggers the brain, right? It wants to do something. It's triggering it. I'm thirsty. Well, now you have a craving that you're thirsty or or maybe let's just take this back. Let's say you want to drink, what is it, a gallon of water a day or a hundred and some odd ounces of water a day, right? The cue is you come around the corner and you see the water bottle and you're like, oh, I am thirsty. You know, so now you're getting that craving for water and the response is you, you drink that water, right? And then you get the reward, that feeling of, oh, that's quenching my thirst, man, I was really thirsty, or that reward of like, man, I am drinking that water, and I'm filtering all that toxic stuff out of my body, so basically, the the first purpose of rewards is to satisfy your craving, right, the second reward is to teach us our actions are worth remembering, and without all these little things, you can't have a good habit cycle because without each cue craving and response um i'm sorry and reward then how do you have a good habit cycle you have to do all four things like my cue to go wake up at 5 a.m well my cue is the alarm clock the response or the craving for that now is like well i want to wake up and do and do something productive well, what's my response? I can either hit the snooze or I can actually get up and do something, right? I have to make that response. I have to shut my alarm off, get out of bed, and now I get my reward is like, by 6 a.m., dude, I'm pumped. I've got stuff done. I'm doing this podcast. I'm going to go to the gym here pretty soon. Man, like, I'm pumped for the day. Like, I, I've made my bed. I've already gotten one thing done in life. You know, I've you know, gone to the gym, that's two things. I've worked on some business stuff, that's three things. 
man, I'm creating that habit change, but it can't happen without your cue, craving, response, and reward. So as simple as waking up in the morning is your cue, your craving of wanting to do better and be better, and I am part of the 5 a.m. club. I am healthy by working out in the morning. I am a business entrepreneur by doing my business stuff in the morning. And the reward is that satisfaction of I am a healthy person. Man, I feel good going to the gym. And that feeling or that feeling of accomplishment because I've made my bed in the morning. I've got one task done. Man, that baking the bed in the morning is huge because I feel like I've gotten one task done, right? And then I've worked on some business stuff, whether it's reading a book on how to be better at business whether it's getting online and and working on my website, whether it's doing this podcast, I'm doing something that makes me feel better and that's my reward. So again, your habit, the habit loop is cue, craving, response, and reward. And without those, if one of those fails, you're not going to get a good habit loop. Um. So it goes on to say that, you know, within the the habit loop, you have the problem phase and the solution phase. So break that down, right? So you have your cue, right? We'll use this one because he uses it and it's so, it's so poignant to, to today, right? Your phone buzzes with a new text message. That's your cue. You're craving, you want to learn the contents of that message. All right. So that's the craving. And now you're going to go into the solution phase, right? The response is you grab your phone and read the text. Your reward, you're satisfied, you're craving to read the message. Grabbing your phone becomes associated with your phone buzzing. That's also a dopaminergic response because it's not just that satisfaction of answering the mail, the text message. It also does something with your dopaminergic receptor sites and the dopamine going into the, the bloodstream and creating that whole thing of text messaging and social media and Facebook and having to, the cue is, you know, your phone buzzes and you look at the Facebook notification and all that kind of stuff. Anyhow, um, you wake up, the problem phase, you wake up, uh, craving is you want to feel alert. So the response, you drink a cup of coffee Reward, you satisfy your craving to feel alert by drinking coffee and becomes associated with waking up. Absolutely. Do I need coffee to get my day going? If you know me or I don't need coffee, I enjoy coffee. I don't need coffee to start my day. Absolutely not. I can get up and leave the house and and just go. As long as I got some water or something like that to drink, I'm good to go. But the coffee... Man, those mornings when it's really satisfying, yeah, you definitely have that cue craving response and reward. Um, you walk into a dark room, that's the cue. The craving you want to be able to see. Solution phase, you flip on the light switch, which is the response, and the reward is you satisfy your craving to see. Turning on the light switch becomes associated with being in a dark room basic stuff, right? It's the four laws of behavior change. So it goes into this uh, four laws of behavior change and provide a simple set of rules, creating good habits and breaking bad ones, right? 
So the first law is the cue, the second law is the craving, third law is response, and the fourth law is the reward. Thus, the cue makes it obvious, the craving makes it attractive, the response makes it easy, the reward makes it satisfying, right? And then how to learn or break a bad habit, right? It's the inversion of the first law, cue, make it invisible, Second law, craving, make it unattractive. Third law, response, make it difficult. Reward, make it unsatisfying, right? So, I mean, I probably the best thing is, fuck, it, is just food, right? Well, if the first law is the cue, make it invisible, just freaking put it away. Put that cookie away. Or better yet, don't buy the cookie, and that makes it you know, difficult, but let's go back to the craving, make it unattractive. How do you make a cookie unattractive, man? I don't, you're gonna have to tell yourself a lot like, man, I don't like chocolate chip cookies or like my, I love oatmeal cookies. There's something about oatmeal cookies. I love them in peanut butter cookies. I think I like them better than chocolate chip. But nonetheless, you make it difficult, right? Is that third law. Just don't buy them. Don't have them in your house. Now you got to drive to the store, you got to drive to the bakery to get the dang cookie and make it unsatisfying. So how are you going to tell the story in your head of the cue, make it invisible? Right? Just put them away. Don't leave them out on the counter. Put a banana out on the counter. Put some apples out on the counter. Make it unattractive. Well, if you're eating a cookie, you're not being very healthy and you can tell yourself a whole bunch of different stories about being unattractive while eating a cookie, right? Make it difficult, just don't buy them. And make it unsatisfying. I don't, I'm not sure how to make an oatmeal cookie not be satisfying except for, oof, man, I'm really not being healthy with this. Man, I, I'm just not sure how to do that one yet, but... I just don't buy them. Um, Whenever you you change your behavior, it talks about making it simple. Ask yourself, how can I make it obvious? How can I make it attractive? How can I make it easy? And how can I make it satisfying? All right, so I got a Peloton. I can work out at home if I want to. Right? So it's obvious. That Peloton's in my living room. How do I make it attractive? Well, I know that if I get on that Peloton and I'm riding for 30 minutes, I feel attractive. Making it easy? It's in my living room. I have to see that thing all the time. And how do I make it satisfying? It's that feeling of adrenaline and dopamine you have surging through your body when you're done with that 30-minute ride, 20-minute ride, 15-minute ride. Maybe it's the stretch you want to take from your Peloton. It doesn't matter. All I know is when I'm accomplished by doing something on that Peloton, man, I feel good. I've created that positive thing. So um, it's the four laws, right, of a good habit. The cue, the craving response, making it obvious, attractive, easy, and satisfying. So that's basically your, the chapter summary, right, of, of chapter three is a habit is a behavior that is repeated enough times to become automatic. That is your subconscious taking over, folks. 
it's because your conscious mind is that bottleneck because it has to intake all that new information when you're learning it the first, second, third, fourth, fifth time you're doing it till it becomes that habit in its unconscious, right? It's that subconscious. The ultimate purpose of habits is to solve the problems of life with a little energy effort as possible. Absolutely. We're, I mean, if we can do a little effort to make something amazing, isn't that like kind of the purpose? Any habit can be broken down into a feedback loop that involves the four steps. Cue craving, response, and reward. Absolutely, we just talked about that. And the four laws of behavior change is the simple set of rules they can use to make better habits. Make it obvious, which is in your cue. Make it attractive, which is the craving. Make it easy in your response, in your reward. Make it satisfying. So that is it, right? That's that's the first three chapters we've now covered in these uh, two podcasts of Atomic Habits. And we'll get back into it pretty soon. It was chapter four. Um, and it talks about making it obvious, the first law, right? You guys have a great day. Put some deposits in life. What am I going to do today? I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to go uh, fix a deck on my house so it can be sold in four days. And then what else am I going to I don't know. But I got to do something positive today, right? So what do I want to put back in, in deposits? I'm going to find a charity, right? Or maybe I'm going to find a charity to work on on Sunday. I haven't decided because today is Saturday. But I know by the end of the week, I will have put a deposit back in this world no matter what. So have a healthy and happy weekend.